Welcome back to the best movies with Richard Roper and Ro Khan. This is Race for the Gold, Episode 6, Best Picture. And this year, Ro, we have nine nominees for Best Picture. Under the current Academy rules, which have changed over the decades, you can have as many as 10 Best Picture nominees and as few as five. Going way back in the day, you could have as many as 12 Best Picture what? nominees. Yeah, but I do like the way they have it set up now where you can have as many as 10, as few as five. If we went into the actual process of how they come up with the nomination for Best Picture, we would set the record for the longest podcast <laughs> ever recorded. So just trust us. These are the nine nominees. So in terms of the nomination process and the voting, it is kind of complicated. Mm. But there's a difference in how Best Picture is voted on. That's correct, Ro. There's a total of 24 categories. Now, in 23 of those 24 categories, you see the five, and all members of the Academy vote for one. Whoever has the most votes wins. It's basically the same as they would do for the Heisman Trophy. For the Best Picture nominees, you have nine films nominated. They have what they call the preferential balloting technique. This gets very complicated. So, with musical accompaniment, Richard Roper will explain in 20 seconds or less how the Best Picture is won. I have the nine nominated pictures. You would list them in your order of preference, your favorite, your second, your third, all the way down to your ninth. They collect all the balance. If one of those nominees has more than 50% of the vote, it wins best picture. If we don't have 50% or more for one picture, they eliminate the bottom, the picture they got the least amount of aggregate numbers. Move everybody up. Keep doing it until one of these pictures has 50% or more. If I've been played off, if I, have, I haven't even told the kids that they already should be in bed and that this Oscar is much heavier than I thought it would be. How dare you? All right, let's start in alphabetical and numerical order, 1917. There is only one way this ends. Last man standing. I'm going to see my father. We need to keep moving. Come on. I'm going you 1917 is directed by Sam Mendes, one of the best directors in the world. He's probably best known for directing American Beauty. He's done a lot of great work over the years. This is his most personal film, which you wouldn't think of when you think, oh, it's a World War I movie. But it is because it's inspired in part by stories his grandfather told him of heroism by British soldiers in World War I. As a matter of fact, that's essayed in a book that his grandfather published right before he died. This is an amazing story of two soldiers who are sent on what is really a suicide mission. They have to go into the crossfire section between two trenches, get past the Germans, and get to an isolated British unit that is about to get ambushed in order to tell them that they're about to get ambushed. We will lose two battalions, 1,600 men, your brother among them. You think you can get there in time? Yes, sir. So most of the action here, these two guys on the run through the field, through day and then through night. This is also a classic example, row of a picture that people might not have been talking a lot about in the fall when people were talking about Oscar contenders, you know, films that hadn't even come out yet or had been recently released, like The Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Marriage Story. They were on everyone's radar. 1917 is a film that came out at the very, very end of 2019 in order to qualify for Academy Awards voting consideration. For folks who don't know, you have to play for at least one week theatrically in a given year in order to be eligible for the Academy Awards. That also means that those screening opportunities for Academy members came late in the game, which means it's very fresh in their memories. And you can just tell that a lot of people are talking more and more about this film, including fans who went out to see it, who are now still going to theaters to see it because of all the awards buzz. 
It's one of those movies that you're like, oh, I don't know, it's a piece of history. Do I really want to go and sit there and watch exactly. guys in World War One helmets? But once you're done with it, it is such a great piece of action filmmaking and a great story. It's one of those films, Roe, where I've had to almost talk people and drag them to the theaters for the exact reasons you say. But afterward, they're so grateful they saw it. It's also the kind of film that gets people talking not just about the history, but about the look and the techniques. There's a reason why this film has so many nominations, and there's already a very cool making-of feature that they've been running on HBO that if you love movie making, you got to check out this feature. See the film first, and it'll, it'll be even more resonant for you. In our last podcast series, we talked about the best movies of the decade, and one of the actors who showed up in a lot of them was Christian Bale, and he's back in Ford versus Ferrari. So the great Carol Shelby is going to build a car to beat Ferrari with a Ford. Correct. And how long did you tell them you needed? Two or three hundred years? Ninety days. <laughs> this is such a cool story, Rowan. There have been books and documentaries about the rivalry on the racetrack between Ford and Ferrari in the 1960s, but this has such a neat look to it. This is one of those films, like when the poster came out, I said, I want to see that, because it was just the beautiful powder blue race car and the two drivers, one of them who has now become kind of the manager, and that is Carol Shelby, who's played by Matt Damon, as you mentioned. Christian Bale is this British driver who'd been kind of a journeyman and then had his moment in the sun. What I love about this film is the racing scenes are really cool. And you're an aficionado. You're a fan of this kind of stuff, and you dug it. But also, it's a buddy movie about these two guys who come from different worlds but have this one great love in common, a love of cars. Look out there. Out there is the perfect lap. No mistakes. Every gear change, every corner. Perfect. Steve McQueen told the story of the race at Le Mans in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. And it was a surreal kind of a film. This movie actually has a narrative to it, and you get to see the exact same stuff. The setup, the real rivalries, yes. the beautiful scenery, and the daring racing that goes on there. Because it's 24 hours and there's an amazing scene in this film hmm. where they're doing a pit stop and they can't get the door closed on the car. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's so real. The other thing I think, Ro, that makes this best picture quality, and this is a case of a film that I think has almost no chance of winning best picture, but it really does deserve the nomination. It was all the corporate intrigue and the character studies that we have in this movie. It's not just 24 hours of racing in the entire film. It's all about how the corporate hierarchy of Ford almost worked against these guys. So Tracy Letts, who plays Henry Ford II, is amazing in this. John Bernthal plays Lee Iacocca. And all that corporate intrigue is really well done as well. Ferrari makes fewer cars in a year than we make in a day. <laughs> we spend more on toilet paper than they do on their entire output. You want us to think like them. Enzo Ferrari will go down in history as the greatest car manufacturer of all time. Glad you mentioned Tracy Letts. He got robbed this year. He should have gotten a nomination for Best Supporting Actor, but so it goes. And you know what? He's in another Oscar-nominated pick that we're going to be talking about just a little bit further down the alphabet. Hmm. Martin Scorsese is back with The Irishman. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. A friend at the top. Hi, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Glad to meet you. Big business and the government is on the attack. You want to be a part of this fight, a part of this history? Whatever you need me to do, I'm available. 
You know when you heard that Martin Scorsese was getting back together with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, you couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. And this movie certainly does not disappoint. I think the feeling after Goodfellas and Casino, which we're talking now 25, 30 years ago, although Scorsese has continued to work, was that we were never going to see a gangster epic with a lot of the people that you mentioned there, Rose. So I was so excited when I heard The Irishman was going to come out. And then it got kind of bogged down, not of its own accord, but with the Twitterverse and all the other nonsense where people kept talking about the digital de-aging process and, oh my gosh, this thing is more than three hours long, which kind of took away from the fact that when it finally was released in theaters, and yes, it did play in theaters for a month before it was on Netflix, when it finally arrived, it was like, this is a freaking great movie. This is what we should be concentrating on, not getting bogged down or whether or not in a couple of scenes we don't quite believe that the de-aging worked perfectly digitally, although I thought it was pretty impressive. And the stuff about the length continues to drive me nuts, Ro, because people will tell me that they just binged watched my 600-pound chihuahua or whatever they have on some <laughs> reality show, 74 straight episodes, but they don't want to sit still for three and a half hours of cinematic greatness. There is no one that I have spoken to who's seen this film who doesn't say, it's long, but it flew right by. Yes. I, yet when, when you first reviewed it, that's exactly what you said, is that at about three and a half hours, it seems like it's 90 minutes. The late, great Roger Ebert would always say, no great movie can be too long, no terrible movie can be too short. And that is absolutely the truth. I was in theaters not that long ago, watching a would-be comedy that clocked in at about 88 minutes, and I think I looked at my watch about seven times, like saying, well, clearly my watch is broken. There's no way this movie has 20 minutes more to go. You never feel that when you're watching The Irishman because each scene is filling the screen with so much atmosphere and so much context and such great acting, it's a great film. So what do you want me to know? No, not that. Not that. What you got to do is, you know, Put a firecracker up Dorfman's ass. Fitz will get the message. He'll get the message. I mean, you can't do it to Fitz because if if you do it to that lush, he'll run right to the feds and screw up everything. But Dorfman, you gotta do it to Dorfman. De Niro is great, but he almost gets blown off the screen by Pesci and even Harvey Keitel, who is so menacing because he barely says anything. Yes. But you just know somebody's gonna be in trouble. Another thing Scorsese has long done, Ro, for his whole career, is he put such great care into casting even the smallest roles. They matter to him. For example, Ray Romano, who is on screen for maybe 10 or 12 minutes, but effectively creates an entire character. Anna Paquin, who shows up late as the daughter of the Irishman of the title character. And even then, there were people criticizing, well, she's not in that movie that long. Well, it's because it was only time for her character to appear when it was time for her to appear. But the performance is sublime. And Al Pacino's performance, I don't want to let that go. Go no further, Frank. Who said it? It don't matter what was said. No, it matters. It was, was it Russell? No. Of course it's not Russell. The little cocksucker from the Miami fiasco? No. Not him. No? Then who? I'm going to tell you. Tony. Tony? Which Tony? They're all named Tony. I think it's got a real shot for Best Picture because so many people have seen it. There is, unfortunately, as we talked about in the last podcast, the Netflix effect. There is some industry backlash to that. A little bit of bias because it did not play for the traditional 72-day window in theaters before becoming available on other platforms. Here's an idea, and here's a memo to Hollywood. Get over it. 
It's very popular to say now. Here's a sneaky great movie, Jojo Rabbit. Hey, Jojo, my old friend. Hi, Adolf. What's wrong, little man? They call me a scared rabbit. Jojo Rabbit! Let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. I love the Oscar nomination for Best Picture for Jojo Rabbit, a film that a lot of people thought couldn't be made in our very politically correct times because it's about a 10-year-old boy who's becoming a member of Hitler Youth and has an imaginary friend, and his imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler. I want to let you in on a little secret. The rabbit is no coward. The humble little bunny faces a dangerous world every day, hunting carrots for his family, for his country. My empire will be full of all animals. Lions, giraffes, zebras, rhinoceroses, octopuses, rhinoctopuses, even the mighty rabbit. Cigarette? Oh, no thanks, I don't smoke. And that's the director, Teiki Watiti, who's actually playing Hitler because he had a lot of trouble finding any actors who would actually want to play Hitler. But as we've seen in other movies that lampoon Nazis and Hitler and fascism row. It's about making fun of all that. And this very wickedly funny comedy does that throughout. It's the best Nazi comedy since The Great Dictator. Hmm. And that's saying something because that's been tried a lot of times. Inglorious Bastards is a great example of it. This, though, I think is a better film at the end of the day. People say, well, is this a war film? Well, yes and no, because it's really told from the point of view of a Germany that's clearly going to lose the war, and they're in desperate straits. And Sam Rockwell and Rebel Wilson are hilarious as the two of the leaders of the kind of Hitler youth movement, and Rebel's character even says at one point, you know, you got to do what you got to do, and she's given birth to like a dozen and a half children just so there'll be more new Nazis. Scarlett Johansson, of course, got the nomination for Best Supporting Actress in this film, and she is amazing. She's really the spine. Scarlett Johansson is playing a German who obviously has to profess her loyalty to Hitler in public, but is secretly working for the resistance and actually has a 16-year-old girl, a Jewish girl, hiding in her attic. And Thomasine McKenzie, who plays that girl, it's a wonderful performance by a gifted young actor who's going to have her own Oscar nominations very soon, Ro. And now the film that features the prohibitive favorite for best actor, Joaquin Phoenix, is Joker. Arthur. I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. Joaquin Phoenix, as you mentioned, Roe, is an almost sure thing to win Best Actor, and I think he deserves that. The picture itself, I was glad to see it got a Best Picture nomination because there's this very polarizing effect that this movie has had on not just audiences, but the critical community and every commentator out there. Some people still saying that it somehow glorifies violence. I don't know how you can see this film and, and think that. I think the director, Todd Phillips, did an amazing job in this origin story. It's so dark and brooding, but then has these very black comedy moments that are really good, touches on so many social issues. I think it's just a film that's going to resonate more and more in the years to come. It's interesting. Recently, I held a screening of Joker for an audience 
the average age here was young 20s to early 40s. And I sat in the back row. And I got to tell you, row, from the back row, it was really cool to see how much these film fans were into this movie and hanging on every moment and really impressed and blown away by all the elements, the performances, the score, the incredible production design, and yeah, I mean, some really chilling moments. It's a movie that is beautiful in its ugliness, in the way that it looks and it feels as it comes across you, and the performance by Joaquin Phoenix is one of the best I have ever seen on film. You can always tell when a movie has become part of the pop culture landscape when people flock to locations to take selfies and shoot videos, and they've been doing that now with The Staircase, where Joaquin Phoenix does his famous and very elegant and very creepy dance up and down the stairs. It's like this generation's version of going to Philly and running up the stairs like Rocky. It's a little (laughs) twisted to want to recreate the Joker thing, and I know some of the neighbors are like, would you stop dancing on the stairwell? But it's a real thing. And now for something completely different, Little Women. I'm working on a novel. It is a story of my life and my sisters. Make it short and spicy. And if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married by the end. Ow, Joe! Yeah, I don't know if anybody's flocking to any of the filming locations for Little Women to go frolicking through the fields or to (laughs) lament when one of the daughters gets deathly ill, but Greta Gerwig did such a great job with this film. Really injected new life, and I think people know this timeless classic, but in terms of film goers we've seen so many versions and i think a lot of us including myself were like do we really need another version of little women and then you see it and you go yes we did need that version because it's so fresh and funny and original and beautiful and and sometimes really moving i just i just feel i just feel like women they they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts and they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty and i'm so sick of people saying that that love is just all a woman is fit for i'm so sick of it but i'm i'm so lonely and i mentioned tracy letts the great character actor wrote he plays the editor and Saoirse Ronan's character, who is an author, is pitching stories to him. And he's great in just his few deadpan scenes where, like, she's telling him about one story. He's like, well, wait a minute. Is the woman going to get married at the end of this? Because if not, there's no happy ending to the story. More tour de force performances here, too. Saoirse Ronan is amazing. And Laura Dern plays the mother of the four little women, if you will. Rowan, we've already talked about her chances, which are very, very strong to win Best Supporting Actress for marriage story but i think sometimes when someone wins an acting award the voters are also thinking about what a great year they had so even though laura dern didn't get nominated here for little women i think it helps her overall cause to win for marriage story and that's our next film marriage story which again was a movie that played for a very short period of time in theaters and then went straight to netflix but it really is something special what i love about nicole she is a mother who plays really plays What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. He's very competitive. And the writer-director, Noah Baumbach, I think a lot of people know this story now. It's based loosely on the demise of his own marriage to Jennifer Jason Leigh, who's an actress. So this is the story of a director and an actress and their breakup. 
But as you've mentioned, and a lot of other people, Ro, who have unfortunately been through this type of a breakup, uh, I don't commit myself ever to get this involved. I'm more like <laughs> Jerry on Seinfeld. But those who people who have been involved in marriages that unfortunately end, you know, when there's so much passion at the beginning of the marriage, unfortunately, there can be just as much, if not more, in a darker way at the end of the marriage. And I used to defend you. They were absolutely right. All your best acting is behind you. You're back to being a hack. You gaslighted me. You're a fucking villain. And you want to present yourself as a victim because it's a good legal strategy? Fine. But you and I both know you chose this life. Absolutely true, Richard, because anybody who's been through a divorce has heard some of the exact lines or said some of the exact lines that are in this film. And it's almost chilling in its reality. But great performances here, too, because you have... Adam Driver. And Scarlett Johansson, again, amazing. And Lauren Dern, we mentioned Ray Liotta, who plays another shark of a divorce lawyer. Alan Alda, he plays the nice guy divorce lawyer, and it's perfect. And you're in a bind because you've shown you're willing to fly out here and rent an apartment to see your son. You told me to do that. I know that. And I'm doing that because I want to see my kid, not to set a precedent. Yes, but unfortunately, you are setting a precedent. And a judge might look at it that way. What's the alternative? I stay in New York and never come out here? No, because then it would look to the court like you don't care about seeing your son. Court or no court? Stop saying court, then never court. Well, the way this is going, we may have to go to court. Are you aware of how maddening you sound? I am. Alan Alda is the warm hug of cinematic appearances at this stage in his career. That's really true. And now for a movie that will have such staying power, the kind of movie that if you happen to come across it while watching television, you're going to watch the rest of it. Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. Couldn't have said it better myself, Ro. It's the repeatability factor of movies such as this. It, it's funny because you mentioned Tarantino, and I was just telling you this uh, between pods of the podcast when we were talking about movies. I recently was clicking around, and Reservoir Dogs was on, and it was the opening scene where they're talking about Madonna's like a virgin, and then Mr. Pink doesn't want to tip, and then the next thing you know, they, you know they're they walking in slow motion, and I'm hooked, and I'm watching the thing for the 87th time almost all the way through. I'm already feeling that way about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it's a great story, but it's also a film, if you've seen it, you can drop in on almost any scene. Some of the sequences here are almost like standalone short films. It's going to be a great film to show your kids and your grandkids about the way the movies were being made in the 2010s and the way people were living in the 1960s. Absolutely, Ro. And one of the many things Tarantino picked up from Martin Scorsese, who was a hero of his, as you can imagine, is that care we've talked about for casting a movie. Quentin Tarantino, you can tell, has a blast casting his films. Of course, it's great to have regulars, such as Leonardo DiCaprio, once again, teaming up with him. But every small role, every minor part, we talked about Laura Dern, talking about a callback. Her father, Bruce Dern, the great character actor, has one scene in this movie, but it's pure greatness. Yes, who the fuck are you? I'm Cliff Booth. I'm a stuntman. We used to work together, George. I just want to make sure you're okay and that all these hippies aren't taking advantage of you. Squeaky? Yeah. She loves me. So suck on that. May not win Best Picture, but it certainly has the longest legs and the best feet. 
And finally, the Korean film Parasite. And we can't play a clip from this film because there are a few lines of English that are actually spoken in it, mm-hmm. but you can't understand those either. But what a great movie. We don't get a lot of films that come from what we used to call the best foreign language film. They now call it best international film. Not a lot of those films translate to mainstream success. That's a damn shame because there's such great cinema happening worldwide. It certainly is the case with Parasite. It's a real audience pleaser. Critics love it. In addition to being nominated here for Best Picture, it is, of course, the favorite for Best International Film. But that's because the story is so bat bleep crazy, Ro. I think people really love going along for the ride on this one. It is a wild ride. It's a little uneven for me, but I chalk that up to it being a film from a culture I don't fully understand. Well, I would just agree with you, honestly, just in terms of the storytelling. And I liked the film. I didn't love it. I really admired a lot of it. I don't want to give anything away, but the tonal shifts that happen, I almost felt like some of it was unnecessary. And what we already had in place there was so brilliant and subtle. But I also know a lot of people, and I have to say I'm included in this, sure didn't see that shit coming. So if you like Get Out, you like Shameless or Sam Peckinpah movies, (laughs) you're going to love Parasite. 2019 was one of the best years in decades for filmmaking. So everybody here on this list is well-deserving. And if you haven't, you should go see these movies. Absolutely. And this wraps up this chapter of the best movies, Race for Gold. Coming up next on the best movies, The Best Bond. And don't forget, you can check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, go to Google Podcasts, Spotify, any place fine podcasts are heard. And please give us those reviews. And let me tell you something, nobody likes a negative review. I get told that every single day. From Richard Roper, I'm Ro Khan. See you next time.